0: Hello, and welcome to the AMA Update video and podcast. Today, we have our weekly look at the headlines with the AMA's Vice President of Science, Medicine, and Public Health, Andrea Garcia, in Chicago. I'm Todd Unger, AMA's Chief Experience Officer, also in Chicago. Welcome back, Andrea.
1: Hi, Todd, thanks for having me. It's good to be here.
0: Well, let's get right into talking about COVID. The last time we talked, we saw some signs that COVID hospitalizations We're beginning to slow. Andrea, what are the latest numbers showing? And is that trend continued?
1: It is, and according to that latest data from the CDC, we saw COVID hospital admissions um, still rising, but once again, the increase is not as high as it was the previous week. For that week ending September 9th, there were just about um, 20,000 people hospitalized with COVID in the US. It's a 7.7% increase from the previous week. But the week prior, we saw an 8.7% increase. And before that, you'll recall six, a 16% increase. So we're seeing those numbers from that late summer surge start to level off and In fact, both test positivity and ED visits for COVID are also decreasing. Uh, But as we talked about last week, we're facing the threat of a serious respiratory virus season where flu, COVID, and RSV are all spreading. And that means we need to be vigilant and we need to take the necessary precautions. Top of that list is getting vaccinated flu and COVID and potentially RSV if you're eligible and if it's recommended based on a conversation with your clinician.
0: Well, let's talk a little bit more about how to keep from uh, getting caught up in the triple demic. We used to be able to do that by, of course, masking and testing and staying home when we're sick. Uh, On one of those fronts, the federal government is stepping in to help. And it's once again offering free COVID tests. Tell us more about that.
1: so as of monday you could head over to covidtests.gov and order your free tests and the government will send up to four rapid tests per household for anyone who requests them i think this is a much needed development it comes at a critical moment and unlike last year around this time it's no longer as easy or as affordable to test yourself for COVID. We know most of those dedicated testing centers and communities have closed. And with the end of the public health emergency earlier this year, we also know that insurers are no longer required to cover the cost of those at-home tests. However, the need to test is still very much here. And uh, these free tests are here to help meet that need.
0: Excellent. COVIDtest.gov. Make sure to go ahead and claim yours. Andrea, on the topic of testing, as COVID variants continue to emerge, we're seeing an uptick in questions from patients about the reliability of at-home tests. Are these tests still accurate despite all these new variants?
1: Yeah, the rapid tests are still effective even with the latest variants. We know most rapid tests target target the nucleocapsid protein or the n protein of covid and that protein doesn't change much with each variant it's pretty stable the spike protein has changed and that's why there have been some concerns around vaccines um, which we know target the spike protein um, and become can become less effective over time Uh, to get the most accurate test results though from those rapid tests you really need to consider when to test how often and whether or not you have symptoms. And if we think about timing, the CDC says if you're experiencing symptoms, you should test immediately. If you do not have symptoms, but you know you've been exposed to COVID-19, the CDC recommends waiting five full days after exposure before you take a test. And that's because the virus needs time to build up in your body before a rapid test can detect it. So if you test, one or two days after an exposure, that may be too early.
0: Andrea, what's the latest guidance on how often you should test if you have symptoms or had a known exposure?
1: When it comes to frequency, we've seen some changes since the beginning of the pandemic. And I think it's important to keep in mind that a single negative antigen test can't rule out an infection. So if you have symptoms and you test negative with a rapid test, CDC recommends that you do another rapid test within 48 hours or take a PCR test as soon as you can. Uh, If you've been exposed but you don't yet have symptoms you're going to want three rapid antigen tests each performed 48 hours apart or a single PCR which can be used to confirm an antigen test result. Uh, The recommendation to test repeatedly was announced by FDA in August of last year and I would just like to point out the other ongoing debate we've been hearing about rapid tests, and that's whether doing a throat swab a throat swab is a good idea um, in addition to a nasal swab. and And there's some reports that that increases the accuracy of rapid tests. To date, the FDA has not authorized any rapid test that involves a throat swab. And in fact, they see that swabbing the throat with the, um, the currently authorized test, um, which are only for nasal swabs, could cause harm. Um, more research is definitely needed here in this area before we're gonna see any um, changes in those recommendations.
0: All right, well, thanks for that overview, Andrea. Before we move on to or on from the triple-demic, the CDC's Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices met last Friday about the RSV vaccine for pregnant people. I'm talking with the AMA's ACIP liaison, Dr. Sandra Freihofer, about this meeting in depth later this week. Andrea, in the meantime, can you share some of the high level takeaways with us?
1: Yeah, I would be happy to. So at the meeting last week, ACIP voted to recommend that maternal RSV vaccine for use in weeks 32 through 36 of pregnancy. And they recommended using it um, during a specific season. So that's from September through January. We did see the CDC director sign off on that recommendation. Uh, That vaccine helps protect infants up to six months of age against those severe outcomes from RSV. And then we also know that CDC has previously recommended Sevamab, which is the monoclonal antibody shot that protects infants who who are less than eight months old against RSV, as well as some children up to 19 months if they're at risk for severe, severe illness. Uh, both of those products are safe and effective. For most infants, they're only going to be recommended to, to get one of those products. So the maternal RSV vaccine provides protection immediately after birth and studies suggest it may be more resistant to virus mutation. And Nersevumab provides antibodies directly to the infant, and studies suggest that that protection might wane more slowly. I think Dr. Freihofer will be able to offer even more insights based on that meeting. Uh, When you do interview her and that's live, we'll update the description for this episode to include a link to it.
0: And I'm looking forward to that discussion. Dr. Freihofer always has tremendous amounts to say, so stay tuned.
1: Medicine doesn't stand still and neither do we. AMA members don't just keep up with medicine, they shape its future. Help move medicine. Join the movement. Visit ama-assn.org/movingmedicine.
0: For that, in other news, the World Health Organization had a big announcement last week about the number of adults with hypertension. Andrea, what can you tell us about that?
1: Yeah, that new report from the WHO said that an estimated one in three adults worldwide live with hypertension, and half of adults with high blood pressure don't know that they have it. The WHO report also cited a 2020 study from The Lancet, which found that hypertension is the single most important risk factor for early death. The number of people with hypertension is on the rise, According to the WHO, that number doubled from an estimated 650 million in 1990 to 1.3 billion in 2019. Taken all together, we have a serious health condition that's on the rise. It's affecting a significant number of people, and many of them don't even know they have it. Clearly, more action is needed here, and we know the AMA actually has a wealth of tools and resources on hypertension for physicians. That includes our SMBP Quick Guide and that helps uh, care teams train patients on how to measure their own blood pressure. Um, We have courses on the AMA Ed Hub and of course our target BPE recognition program.
0: Andrea, uh, in another story that drove headlines this week, there was a study that looked at the effects of ultra processed foods. What do we need to know there?
1: Yeah, that was a really interesting study that was published in JAMA Network open, and it examined the association between ultra-processed foods and depression among females, aged 42 to 62. It found that the women who ate the most ultra-processed food were about 50% more likely to develop depression than those who ate the least. It was an observational study, so it can only note an association between the symptoms of depression and the intake of ultra-processed foods. It doesn't show causation. Uh, According to a report from the CDC published in July of this year, One in five adults in the U.S. in 2020 reported receiving a diagnosis of depression at some point. So any new research in this area is welcome. Uh, It helps us to continue the discussion about how we can best help people who are suffering.
0: Absolutely. And Andrea, thanks so much for being here today and sharing these updates. That wraps up our episode today. If you enjoyed the discussion, you can support more programming like this by becoming an AMA member please join us, ama-assn.org join. We'll be back soon with another AMA update. In the meantime, you can find all our videos and podcasts at ama-assn.org podcasts. Thanks for joining us today. Please take care.